0: All right, uh, Revelation 19 is where we're going, right? Uh, I'm looking for some place I can go preach the message that Sarah preached last Sunday because that that was really good about the four hallelujahs and in, in Reve- and she gets the verses about praise and worship and hallelujah, and I get the sections about harlots and war and <laughs> birds gorging themselves on the flesh of those who have died in battle. So I should have should have divvied this up a little differently when we were. Actually, we didn't look at it. We just kind of said, <laughs> there have been a couple times she said, why don't you just take that? So, so, the next, so that's why I'm here, and that's why next Sunday I'll still be here talking about Armageddon a little more. So nothing like a good battle. Um, you know, I've preached through Revelation uh, a couple of times in my 38 years here as your pastor, and uh, and so this is the last time we're doing this. But anyway, I think I've I think I've enjoyed this maybe uh, this time the most. Uh, partly getting to hear somebody else's take on some things, but we've tried to or I've tried to read this a little less like like a person in 2023. Uh, you know, looking at this and kind of putting all these kind of modern takes on it and taking all the stuff about prophecy and looking at it like, okay, let's figure out Armageddon, let's figure out all these things. And I feel like we've, we've tried to look at it a little more like someone who was hearing it or reading it in the first century in one of those churches that John wrote to. What were they hearing and, and how did it fit? And it, it, hearing the passage that we're going to read today from Revelation 19, I feel like uh, those those first century churches, I don't think they would have been trying to figure out the menu for the wedding supper or trying to locate the exact physical site of uh, of the battle or figuring out the timing and all that. Uh, I, again, when, when it speaks of uh, Armageddon, which it, it doesn't use that name here, but that's the battle that we're looking at. Well, the folk that lived in, in Turkey, where John was addressing the, these letters to, they didn't know where the valley of Megiddo was, you know, they, they weren't understanding all that. So I don't think they were trying to necessarily figure that out. I think they would have been seeing the meal and the war as images of a spiritual reality that was communicating important spiritual perspectives and truth for them in their present circumstances. And that's the way we've tried to view this as well, not just, well, this is about something in the future, but this scripture was written to us, not only about the future, but it was written to us to apply today. It has value for us today. And so I want us to, to see if we can find the value in that and learn some lessons. And so I called this a, a meal and a war, and we're gonna see these two things. So we're gonna begin uh, in Revelation 19, verse uh, verse six. And it says, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. And then the angel said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, These are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, Do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. "'Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus "'is the spirit of prophecy. "'I saw heaven standing open, "'and there before me was a white horse "'whose rider is called Faithful and True. "'With justice he judges and makes war. "'His eyes are like blazing fire, "'and on his head are many crowns. "'He has a name written on him "'that no one knows but he himself. "'He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, "'and his name is the Word of God.' The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair. "'Come, gather together for the great supper of God, "'so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, and mighty men, "'of horses and their riders, "'and the flesh of all people, free and slave, small and great. "'And then I saw the beast, and the kings of the earth, "'and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and his army.' That's us. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. And with these signs he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with the sword that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on their flesh. Okay. <laughs> From this beautiful meal, right, the married supper of the lamb, all the four hallelujahs that we, that we heard about last Sunday. And so we've got this, I can remember, I think I, in fact, I used to have a poster on my wall or something of, of that image, you know, of this long table that went on through infinity and all these beautiful, uh, uh candelabras or whatever, lampstands on there and, and like the wedding supper of the lamb's prepared. There's this beautiful meal and, and all the stuff there. And we go from that to the stuff that biblical nightmares are based on. And so what's this all about? And my, my answer would be that it's all about salvation. Hallelujah. We started this chapter in verse one, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. It's all about salvation. So this whole, this whole chapter, that's, that's the, the theme, that's the plot of this. But you say, but that battle sounds horrible. And my response is, yeah, it is. It's horrible it's disturbing and we'll, it's Armageddon and we'll say more about that in a little bit. But the images and and the debauchery of Babylon that we talked about two weeks ago, those images are disturbing as well. So the Babylon, the the image of the woman drinking the blood of the martyrs and the blood of the saints and and, and all that goes on there. I mean, yeah, it's all disturbing as well. And then we've got this setting for the for the wedding supper. Come to the supper. You're invited to come to this glorious feast, this banquet that's set in, in the heavenly place. And, and, and it's set in contrast to these disturbing, troubling images. So we've got the destruction of Babylon in chapter 18, and at the end of 19, we've got the battle of Armageddon. And between those two, bracketed by those two things, is the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's an interesting contrast, isn't it? And I think it's, it's not a coincidence then that the married supper of the Lamb and this feast in the presence of the Lord is bracketed by this wicked empire that's being destroyed finally and this final end to, to wickedness and sin. And there's a truth here for us that we have to live at the moment in Babylon. In this fallen sinful world, but by faith, we're part of the wedding party where all is bright and clean. And we, we live in between. We live in between the now and the not yet. It's where we are. The kingdom is coming and it has come, but it's not come in fullness. So my back and hips still hurt today, but there's coming a day when that's not going to be the case, right? All that changes. So it's between the now and the, and the not quite yet. That's where we live in the in the tension between all that. And that's where we, we find this marriage supper. By faith, we see it, we know it, and we keep that in mind. Judgment's coming to this world, but by faith, we escape the judgment through the blood of the Lamb. There's all this wickedness of the empire, Babylon, but we've escaped it through the blood of the Lamb and we participate already in his kingdom and in union with him. Salvation from Babylon, salvation from the catastrophe that we've been reading about in Revelation and the judgment that's coming. That's our expectation. That's what we're looking to. Eugene Peterson writes, salvation is the answer to catastrophe. And the dimensions of catastrophe are understood biblically to exceed human capacity for recovery. So everything that we've been reading, all the, the trumpet, the seals, and the opening of the seals, and the trumpets, and the bowls, and the wrath that's poured out, all the calamity, everything that goes on, the, you know, the mountains give way, and the islands are gone, all that stuff... The point of it is, it's beyond human capacity to fix or to control. NASA can't stop it. The NIH can't do anything about it. All this stuff's going to happen, and it's beyond us. So it's it's beyond human capacity for recovery. He said, all parts of creation have been jarred out of the harmonious original and are in discord. In other words, everything's messed up, and we can't fix it. We can't correct Babylon's course, all right? That, that's not going to happen. And, uh, you know, there's a... Oh, I hear more and more lately about dominion theology. It's the whole seven mountain thing. And we're going to get God's people in charge of all these things, politics and entertainment and economy and finances and all that stuff. And then the kingdom's going to come. And I got to tell you, we haven't done a very good job in the last 6,000 years. And I don't think we're going to pull it off now. It's broken and it can't be course-corrected without god's help we so all of this shows us we need salvation all of this shows us how badly how desperately we need saving So Revelation 18, Babylon's fallen, destroyed, it's burning. There's worldwide catastrophe happening. But in the midst of this is the wedding supper of the Lamb. Here's the contrast. In the midst of it, with battles and burning and whatever, we've got respite and salvation. We're the bride. We've made ourselves ready. Fine linen, white and clean has been given to us. Garments that have been made clean by the blood of the Lamb and His sacrifice. And we're invited to come and sit at the table. And then, I mean, that's what we've got boy blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper these are the true words of god and john falls at his feet to worship he's so happy and so thrilled man this is awesome it's all about jesus and salvation worship god the guy says so in this moment of worship and then in the midst of that john says and then i saw heaven open and i saw a rider, and then i saw all the armies of the world and the beast and everybody gathered to make war what happened to the bridegroom right I mean, that's the deal. The bride in the uh, in New Testament time, the bride anticipated the coming of the groom. He was going to come to the house, get her, take her to his house, and the feast would begin. Where instead we see the groom coming, but he's not coming dressed like a bridegroom. He's dressed like a warrior. And so our, our image changes again. Instead of his arrival, instead of sitting down at the supper, there's a vision of a horse and a rider in a battle. Instead of the wedding supper of the lamb, we get a battle in this grotesque image of the great supper of God, which doesn't sound too appetizing at all because, yeah, well, we've already read it. I don't have to repeat that. So stay with me. The plot is about salvation. We've got spiritual images set in a meal and in a war. And the image of the marriage supper is a picture of celebrating the union that we have with christ right marriage it's a it's a spiritual physical union and this is what we're celebrating a celebration of salvation and the primary way that we remember and proclaim all that salvation is to us his crucifixion his death the shedding of his blood for us his resurrection all of that our union with him the primary way that we celebrate that on a regular basis is through communion We call it the Lord's Supper, a meal. Salvation is reduced down. John and the Holy Spirit reduce this down to this image and this action. There's a meal, and let's let's say then that it's it's that communion meal. It's the Lord's Supper. And every time we take, partake of communion, we testify of salvation. Every time we take of communion in the midst of all the madness and the wickedness of the empire and the future that looks bad and catastrophes around us, we're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. Every time we eat the bread and drink, Drink the cup. We testify this is how we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and that was shed for us, and by the word of our testimony. This meal we eat together. The Lord's Supper says salvation has come to us not by our works, but by the grace of God through faith in Christ. This meal says we belong to Him. We're one with Him. We're united with Him, cleansed by His grace. We're saved, Paul writes in Titus. We're saved not by righteous things we've done, but by His mercy every time we take communion, we're proclaiming that. We're invited to the supper of the Lamb, and we get to sit at his table, and we know his presence and his power, that life-giving, life-sustaining power of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're invited, and we eat this meal in the face of war and opposition and the wickedness of empire and Babylon. Quoting Eugene Peterson one more time, he said, The many-dimensioned reality of salvation is preserved not by a truth that we must figure out or by an ethical behavior that we must carry out, but in a meal to eat. Not everyone can comprehend a doctrine, not everyone can obey a precept, but everyone can eat a piece of bread, drink a cup of wine, and understand a simple statement, my body, my blood. I maintain continuity with the killed and raised Jesus, who is salvation, not by learning something or by performing something, but by eating a meal. And Jesus says, you're invited to come. Come to the table and eat this salvation-celebrating meal. It's complete, and you're rescued and saved in Christ. It's about salvation, so it's about the Savior. It's about Jesus. And again, we eat this meal between... Chapter 18, Babylon, and the end of 19, Armageddon. But here we are. We're eating the meal in a war zone, knowing that by faith we are saved. We eat it in anticipation of that day when we're gathered in his presence, and we eat it together. But right now, we can smell Babylon burning, and we can see troops amassing in the valley of Megiddo, but we're still celebrating salvation through Christ Jesus our Lord. Somebody ought to say amen to that, even if you can't hear me. So anyway, (laughs) and then John gives us this little one-line reminder here to kind of keep us on track because John is told, after all, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. The testimony of Jesus. That's what all this is about it's the it's the unveiling of jesus that's what revelation is the apocalypse it's the unveiling of jesus the testimony of jesus is the spirit of prophecy i can't help but think about all the messages we heard from so-called prophets over the past three years and i have to tell you i didn't hear very much about jesus in most of them and if the focus is on salvation then the focus has to be on jesus and the heart of revelation and the the heart of this is the testimony of jesus Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Keep your eye on the Lamb now and in the future. Just keep looking to Jesus. So here we go. we got a meal and we've got a war. And the image changes then from a meal where we fellowship with Jesus and we're aware of his life-giving, life-sustaining power and presence to this image of a war where we realize we're engaging an enemy that wants to deceive us and destroy us. It says that he's come to make war against the rider on the horse, which is Jesus, and his army, and, and we're the army. And so he's come to destroy us. And remember, our victory is through the blood of the Lamb, but we are in a war. And I believe John wanted those churches to know that and to remember that. Yes, we're in, we're united with Christ through his grace and by his blood, but we're in a war, friends. And so he wants to make sure they understand that. So look what he, look what he begins to describe. John sees a white horse with a rider who's called faithful and true. And we know this is Jesus, and what a word to the early church and to the church through the centuries, and what a word to us, those that were facing persecution and martyrdom and folks in this world still are. And then John says, but the head of the church, the one who comes to bring salvation, he is faithful and true. You can rely on him every time, in every season, in every circumstance, whatever's coming, you know that he's faithful and true. And if that's the case, then he's going to see us through whatever is ahead. He says with justice, he judges and makes war. His motives are just and pure. There's no arrogant lust for power or conquest, no no vindictiveness in this. It's out of pure justice that he judges and makes war. He comes to defend the powerless and the hopeless. He judges in order to establish what's right and true and pure. He judges to make things right. John says his eyes are like blazing fire. We heard him say that about Jesus in the first chapter of Revelation. His eyes are like blazing fire, indicating that he searches all things, that nothing can be hidden from him. It's even better than x-ray vision. He sees everything. He knows what's, what's in your, in your heart. And on his head are many crowns suggesting his dominion over everything. The Lord reigns as we sang about this morning. And verse 19 tells us the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered to make war against the rider on the horse. But the beast was captured and the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs and they're thrown into a fiery lake of burning sulfur. Listen, all the forces of hell and all the forces of this earth combined, the kings and the generals and everybody else, are no match for Jesus, the one who is faithful and true and who has come to establish justice in the world. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself, it says, what a fascinating statement. you got a name that nobody else knows. That's more than just keeping your password safe, isn't it? He's got a name that nobody else knows. I, I pondered that. It's, it's a reminder, maybe, that we don't know all there is to know about him. That there's still some mystery about Jesus. That there's a depth to his nature and his character that we've not yet discovered or experienced. And there's nothing about that that scares us. <laughs> Instead, it just makes me think I'm going to have eternity to get to know this guy, you know? I'm going to have eternity to just discover the depths of what his grace and his nature and his, and his character are. There's power and authority in his name. And because no one knows this name, then no one else can access All that power and all that authority, he holds it close because in his name, everything's going to happen, right? In his name and in his power, all things are created, all things hold together. And so nobody's going to get access to that power and authority except him because he alone is faithful and true. (coughs) We do know these other names, though. King of kings, Lord of lords, the word of God. But he has a name that only he himself knows. And then it says he's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. It's important we understand how different this is, because we expect some blood on a warrior's garment, right? But we expect the blood on a warrior's garment to be the blood of his enemies. But Jesus is not your average warrior and king. And his victory occurs not through the shedding of his enemies' blood, but through the shedding of of his own blood, right? The blood on his robe is his own blood. He's dressed in a robe that's been dipped in his own blood, and that blood is offered for us and for our salvation. What an extraordinary warrior who has conquered death by his death and who saves us by his own blood. And now we see him, his robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. And these are the saints of God. And notice how the army is dressed. We're not dressed in military uniforms. We're not dressed in combat fatigues. We're not armed with swords or spears. We're not armed with assault weapons to mow down the godless. They're dressed in fine linen, which wrinkles really badly, you know. But anyway... (laughs) So we're, we're wearing Panama, Panama Jack shirts or whatever, you know, just a white linen shirt and white pants. And here we are. I'd be saying, have you got anything? <laughs> have you got anything maybe that doesn't show dirt as badly? Cause we're going to a battle, right? But He's given us white garments. We're dressed in fine linen, white and clean. These are the garments that Jesus gave us to wear. These are the garments that have been cleansed by his blood. In fact, chapter 7 verse 14 says, they washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. And so his blood is what cleanses us from sin. And so here we are in these white garments that he gave us to wear. And then it says, and out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. The the Greek there actually says he'll shepherd them with an iron staff or scepter. And on his robe and on his thigh he has this name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we've got the armies of heaven in white linen garments, made white by washing them in the blood of the Lamb. We've got the one who's faithful and true with a name written both on his robe and on his thigh. And think about that for a second. The thigh is the place where his sword would be hanging, right? That's, that's where you found it. There's ancient references to that. So you're drawing your sword, right? That's Errol Flynn, Tyrone Power. You're pulling your sword out there, ready to go. But instead of a sword, when we look at his thigh, it's his name. Instead of a sword, it's his name. It's not through military might, in spite of the image of this battle. It's not through military power. It's not through at the edge of a sword, but at his name that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord. How about that? it's not because we're going to put a sword to somebody's throat and say it's time for you to kneel and and declare that jesus is lord instead at his name the name that's above every name the name that was given the name that the angel said you're going to call his name jesus because he's going to come to save people from their sins it's at his name he's victorious by his blood His robe dipped in blood and his name written there. I'm telling you, he's victorious by his blood and his name and not a sword. And what do the armies of heaven do in this scenario? Nothing. We don't do anything. It just says he comes with them, right? They're riding with him. It says the enemies and the beast and the kings of the earth gather to make war against the rider on the horse and his army, but we're not doing anything. We're dressed in fine linen, which verse 8 says stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And we're called to take a stand against sin and against evil and against the greed and the influence of Babylon. We're called to live holy and righteous lives by his grace. But ultimately, in this battle of the ages, we, we don't do anything. We're not fighting a Christian holy war. You can save your ammo for something else because all the action belongs to Jesus. I mean, we read it. He judges and makes war. From his mouth comes the sword with which to strike down the evil empire, the nations. He will rule them. He'll shepherd them with an iron staff. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. He secured the victory for us through his death and resurrection. He comes again to implement the victory through the authority of his name and the power of his word. It has his word and through his blood that salvation comes at his word. And through his blood... All sin and evil and violence and injustice and the devil himself are forever defeated. That's why they sing hallelujah because salvation and glory and power belong to our God. It's through him. We're in his victory, but it's not because we're going to fight. There's nothing we can do. It's by his victory that we stand through his blood and in his name that we have the victory. So two contrasting images, a meal and a war. And I get it, we overcome through Christ and that communion meal celebrates and testifies to that union we have with Christ by grace. But how come the war? Well, I get that. Jesus wins the war and he provides an end to sin and the devil and we have complete salvation. So hallelujah, so why are you preaching all this? Well, there's something else John wants us to see. He wants us to recognize the battle, the spiritual opposition, to see the war, and as I said a couple minutes ago, and he wants them to know we're in the war. We're in a battle. Eugene Peterson said, St. Paul, preaching salvation, did not organize ethical societies around the Mediterranean basis or basin. He fought battles and developed an extensive vocabulary to name the evil opposition powers, rulers, thrones, dominions. He didn't seem to be in the least bit intimidated by these ominous forces. He was always working from a stance of accomplished victory since Jesus on the cross disarmed the principalities and powers and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in him. There is apparently nothing to fear in the act of fighting. Danger here is all in the not-fighting. And then he said this the safest place is on the battlefield for it's there that Christ is active riding the white horse John wanted that church Carbondale and Laodicea and Philippi and all the others he wanted us to be aware that we're in a battle with a real enemy and we move from this meal from communion with Jesus where we're fortified by his life and his presence and we move into the battlefield into the war but he also wants us to know that the enemy is no match for Christ, our Savior, the King of Kings, and the Lord of Lords, so he's telling us there's a battle there's a warning here, stay close to Jesus, stay in the battlefield, but stay close to Jesus, stay behind Jesus, all right, you can puff your chest out back there, you know, and say, yeah, that's right, yeah, we you know we're going to win this thing. go ahead, Jesus, go ahead, Jesus, and that's where we are. go ahead, Lord, but we're standing back here we're with him, but we're behind him. I'm behind you all the way, about a hundred yards back here. I'm behind you and I'm ready to see what you're going to do. We're with him in this, but we're going to stay close to Jesus. Now here's the deal. And we're wrapping this up right here. We read this passage and, and it's disturbing. There's no way to get around it. I mean, it says the rest of them were killed with the sword. This is flesh of all people all people it says all right i mean this is this brutal and it's grotesque and how can it be the talk of vultures eating flesh the defeat and death of all those who gather to make war against the rider on the white horse it's it's troubling to me and it is disturbing and the point is it's supposed to be disturbing there was a reason for it being here, the reason for John to, to, to write this down. I mean, it would have been easier for him to go, look, I'm going to leave this part out because that's troubling. I'm all about that wedding supper. Woohoo! yes, Lord, let's go. What are we having? Can I describe the menu? But you want me to write this down about birds eating all the people? come on, pecking their eye. I don't want to do that. I, let's just get on because everybody likes the good part, right? Everybody wants a happy ending. Well, we got that coming up here in a few Sundays, but, but I, I don't want to write this down. But it's supposed to be disturbing. The image is meant to wake people up from their complacency, from their easy acceptance of sin. It's all about salvation, remember? And here's the deal. Jesus... Jesus hasn't come to negotiate with the devil or the beast or with sin and wickedness. He's come to save us from our sins and to liberate us from a kingdom uh, of sin and darkness and bring us into his kingdom of freedom and liberty and life and righteousness and light. And the images are disturbing because they're supposed to be. They serve as a warning. They're meant to wake us up. And if, if you've got an alarm that says, psst, it's time to get up You're not getting up, right? You don't even need to hit the snooze button on that But if you've got one that ah, does that right there Man, I wake up I set an alarm only on sunday morning And and I I know I wake up about 10 minutes before it goes off And reach for it to shut it off because I don't want to hear that annoying sound of my alarm This is annoying. This is awful. This is disturbing. It's supposed to be it wakes us up from our slumber and from our sleep. It's to wake us up to realize something alarming is coming. There's an incoming to everyone who refuses to repent and to live for Jesus. These enemies of God in Revelation 19, look, all the stuff that we've read through and all these other pages here, over and over again, they were given opportunity to repent and they wouldn't do it. Catastrophes came and God's saying, repent and turn and, and, and John said, but still they wouldn't repent. Still they wouldn't repent still they wouldn't repent and and so john and the holy spirit are warning them listen there's an incoming you need to repent while you can but these folk refused every opportunity it's like a big sign warning for mature audiences judgment and death and fiery lakes and hell and vultures are ahead and i'm warning you wake up before it's too late and we'll talk more about this next sunday But get this, a meal and a war, there's a promise and there's a warning both in this passage. The warning is meant to disturb us. The meal is meant to assure us. In his commentary on Revelation, Craig Kister wrote, Both visions of the future stand before the readers, warning that there's judgment for all and promising that there's hope for all. And readers can best respond to the contrasting visions by heeding the warning and trusting the promises. This is really good. Those who fall into despair because the warnings are so severe need to hear again the promises of life through the power of the Lamb. And those who fall into complacency because the promises seem so assuring are rightly startled by the warnings concerning God's judgment on sin and evil. And faith, which is the alternative to despair and to complacency, is the shape that life takes in anticipation of the end. Right here's salvation. Here's the message of the gospel. Here's the tension of it all. Let's preach grace. There's a wedding party that's coming. There's a celebration to everyone who repents of their sin and puts their trust in Jesus. It's a promise. Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house are many mansions. You can rejoice in this. It's the best news. And all you have to do is repent of your sins and ask Jesus to come into your heart. And we say yes to that. And we grab hold of the promise. But for people who say, so I got the promise and I got my invitation and I'm going to the married supper of the Lamb, so it doesn't matter what I do now. It doesn't matter how I live, right? God's not looking to see how I live. He just wants to know that at that big worship concert that I paid $35 to to go worship God, I asked Jesus in my heart and I said what the preacher said and say. so I'm going to heaven, hallelujah. And John says, whoa, 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 there's a warning here. That if you don't repent of your sins and turn from your wicked ways, this is what's ahead. And it's not good. There's nothing about it that's good. It's hell. It's vultures. It's eating flesh. It's all the stuff. It's the end of empire and it's the end of every wicked thing and every thought. And those who are rejected God and His grace and went ahead in rebellion, this is This is the end, so there's a promise, and there's a warning, and here we stand. Oh, God, it's only by grace. It's only by grace that I'm saved, and now that I'm saved, I want to walk in obedience to you. I hear the warning, but I'm holding on to the promise. You can accept his invitation, and you can find life and embrace that promise, or you can ignore his warning, reject his call, and what's ahead is death and judgment and hell. And what do we choose? And that's the message that we need to be concerned with from Revelation 19. Not details necessarily about Armageddon or the final battle, predicting when it's going to be or how they're going to actually have. How will a river of blood flow for that many, whatever, you know? And they're trying to figure out all the details. And the question is are you ready for the married supper or are you ready for judgment? That's the question that everybody has to answer. A promise and a warning. A meal and a war, and we take heed to both. We heed the warning, and we trust in the promises. i got to tell you, by his grace, I'm looking forward to a meal. And I don't want to miss it. And I'm not willing to gamble my chances on missing that and all this stuff that I don't want to experience. And you have to make a choice, too, today. So let's bow our heads and bow our hearts. And maybe you're here in this house this morning or maybe you're watching online and you have to decide, you have to think this through. What are you anticipating? Are you anticipating a married supper and you've grabbed hold of the promise or is it judgment that's ahead for you? Because the good news is that your sins can be judged and dealt with today, right now in this service. Wherever you are in the house or watching online, that you can bow your heart before the Lord. That's what was that was that's what was called for. That's what John's warning them about. Get ready, get ready. Prepare your garments. Prepare yourself for the married supper of the Lamb. Come and gather here, or prepare yourself for what's coming. All of it's about warning and promise, a meal and a war. And if you're here and Jesus is not Savior and Lord of your life. Maybe you asked Him to come in your heart a long time ago, but you haven't been living for Jesus. You haven't been living in in faithfulness and in holiness and walking with Him. Instead, you've just been living any old way you want, doing things that you know are displeasing to God sinning against Him. Right now, this moment, I ask you, I beg you, plead with you, open your heart to Jesus, repent of your sins. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to cleanse you. Tell him, Lord, I want my garments to be clean and white. I want, I want, I want them to be washed in the blood of the Lamb. I, I don't want to live this way anymore. Lord, take away this sin. Forgive me of my sin. Take away the shame and the condemnation that I've, I've, I've grown accustomed to it. I've become complacent to it. Lord, I don't want that. And I hear the warning this morning. The old saints used to say, there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, and it's still the truth. Lord, and I turn away from that or any road or path or action or choice or decision that would take me to this kind of judgment. And instead, Lord, cleanse me and I want to live for you and serve you. Lord, that's what I'm longing for today. So, Jesus, I'm believing you. I'm trusting in you. By faith, Lord, even though Babylon's burning and there's all kinds of stuff happening in this world, by faith, Lord, I'm going to be a part of that marriage supper. By faith, Lord, I'm going to lift my cup and that bread and I'm going to celebrate and rejoice in salvation. It's mine. It's the promise. And I hold it and I have it. And by faith, Lord, I'll walk in obedience to you. The rest of my life, Lord, don't let anyone that's hearing this message this morning miss heaven or miss that married supper. Let it be, Lord, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. The invitation has been extended. And there's no reason for you to reject the mercy and the grace nor the call of the Holy Spirit and the Lord Jesus Christ. The invitation is there to repent of your sins and to turn to Jesus. Return to the one, return to your first love, return to the one who is faithful and true. Open your heart to him, surrender your life to him. For there's blessing ahead and his promises are certain and true, but he is just. And his warnings of things to come and judgment, they too are certain and true. And so hear the word of grace. Hear the word of the Lord while there's yet opportunity and time. And turn to the Lord, repent, and make him Savior and Lord, and then walk in obedience. And he will fulfill his plans for you and for your life as you trust him in obedience. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, whoever that's for today we're here. Sunday school starts in 14 minutes, but I'll be here. I'm happy to pray with you and talk with you. If you want to just slip out where you are, if you're watching online, you can reach out to us, email us. We'll pray for you and pray with you. But you can, you can make that decision right now, just in, in your heart, in your spirit right now. Lord Jesus, somebody needs to return to you. Somebody needs to come home to you, to call upon you and make you Savior and Lord. Let them embrace the promise and heed the warning, Lord. Let it be in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together this morning. This won't go down in my history as my favorite sermon, not the best, but if Jesus got the point across, then that's what mattered. If there's a promise and a warning, I'm not going to forget that. And I want to listen to, pay attention to both of them. Amen? Let's do that. Lord, thank you for helping us today. Help us to trust and grasp hold of that promise. But help us, Lord, to heed the warning. There's a battle. And there's an enemy that wants to destroy us. That's why we have to hold and stay close to you and walk in faith. And never, never take our eyes off of Jesus and off of the Lamb. Help us, Lord, to heed the warning. to live for you now may the lord bless you and keep you may the lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you may the lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace amen amen bless you be safe out there we'll see you wednesday night or tonight if you're a parent of a of a kiddo and uh yeah or next sunday morning thanks for being here thanks for watching blessings to you